Hello, everyone. Welcome to Outside the Studio. I'm so honored to bring this guest to you. Meg Zucker is here with us. She is the author of Born Extraordinary, Empowering Children with Differences and Disabilities. Um, and Meg Zucker has some real life experience with this. She was born with one finger on each hand, shortened forearms, and one toe on each mishappened foot. This is actually caused by a genetic condition called ectrodactyly. Um, and what happened, which she'll talk about um, throughout this podcast and in her lovely book, um, is she eventually passed this condition on to her two sons. Um, and so this is, you know, an extraordinary story. It's a story of compassion, love, learning to see beyond what's on the surface and just embracing all that it is to be human. In my opinion, Meg, <laughs> I mean, I'd love to hear in your words what this book is about for you, what it's meant to um, put it out into the world. And also thank you for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm I'm just honored to be a part of this conversation. Uh, and yes, extradactually, I joke a little bit that I sound like I'm a dinosaur type. Um, but and it's really bizarre having these conversations uh, not in person because it's hard to sort of wave my hands yeah. in front of you know it's not that hard, but you know just sort of unnaturally speaking. But yeah, I was I was born with um, this condition that really um, never held me back. Um, and it was based on the way my parents raised me. So I have two brothers and and parents and, you know, never was ever it, it was never suggested or even implied that I shouldn't just be me, do whatever I wanted to do. It didn't mean I could do everything, but I can certainly try just like every child can't do everything, but gets to have the runway to try. And so um, with respect to, um, you know, my condition, because at that point, and I, now I'm going to sound like a dinosaur because it was pre-internet. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, be, no one in my family at that point when I was growing up had um, any blatant difference, certainly not extradactily. And so it was a really interesting uh, road, which we can talk about throughout, you know, any of the chapters or so forth. But in terms of you know, why I decided to write this book, really, I mean, my parents did such a great job of empowering me, uh, and I wish they had written a book. <laughs> and and so, and quite frankly, uh, both of them are, you know, PhDs, professors, you know, they've written books, just not about this. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I felt like this was a great opportunity, also because just because I was raised by my parents in the way that I I was doesn't mean that everything that they did for me, I applied to raising, we have three children, two out of our three are born with my condition, but, you know, I, I really, I did some missteps too. And it was mainly out of fear. And we can talk about any of that, that you'd like, but in the end, I thought this would be a really wonderful opportunity to share my insights, as well as, you know, the insights of, of a village of others. I mean, there are at least 35 to 40, I forget the count, um, parents of children with differences, visible or invisible or disabilities that have contributed to this book so that the insights and um, are not just um, specific to my family, but really, really, um, you know, 
take take readers to a much broader level. One thing I'll finally say um, uh, before just taking a pause is, but thematically, a lot even though our parenting, you know, might be different because our child was born or later on, um, you know, has experienced some kind of difference or disability. It's interesting thematically how when you hear from all these parents, they sort of come to similar thematic approaches and, and so forth as well. Sorry, mm-hmm. that was a long, long answer. <laughs> yeah, no, I love long answers because this is what this is. This is, that is what this format is for. You know, you're the guest and I want to hear about your experience and, um, you know, yeah, I want to hear about the missteps. I want to hear about uh, felt successes and felt I don't like the word failure. I I prefer misstep, but it it but from the um inquiry of curiosity, because that's how we learn, right? That's how we get better. That's how we pass on to our children when we make mistakes, even if we're vulnerable and saying, Hey, I made a mistake. I wish I would have done this differently. And, we, and we're able to communicate that to our child. We teach them how to do the same thing. And that just to me breeds compassion and kindness for ourselves and for others. So um, would you mind sharing um, some of those learnings, some of those missteps? Um, yeah. 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 And um, for me, I don't, I actually don't mind the word fail um, because it, it, it's kind of uh, resembles my life. You know, mm-hmm. my life has been one experience of a, a, a harsh truth, you know, of a harsh experience and sometimes a beautiful experience. And so, and, and failure in, in what I was, you know, so there's failure as a, as a person that is born physically different um, with this condition. And then there's the parent. So I should say that those are two separate answers, just as a person, I will say the fact that my parents, you know, let me fail. I think there's even a section in the book that's a let them fail. And what the reason that was important is, um, you know, if we give our kids the the sort of cue that the only thing we're going to put in front of them, things that they can achieve, you know, when they grow up, um, they're going to be really in for a, a rude awakening because that's just not anyone's reality and certainly not the reality of someone who is, you know, different um, or disabled and so forth. So from a failure perspective, I would say, and I can be really specific about things, but um, I mean, I guess I will be. I So on the one hand, you know, my failure, an example, and this is on a personal level, um, and then I'll get to the parent uh, level in a second. But, you know, uh, I wanted to be on the swim team. I love to swim. Um, love it, love it. And my parents were like, I'm sure behind the scenes are like, all right, you do you, but this is not going to work. And the reason they knew it wasn't going to work truly is because while I can swim well, my shortened forearms, I mean, I just can't swim fast. Mm -hmm. And being part of the swim team really was like, you have to swim fast. And I really wasn't able to. And even if you could say, well, what about breaststroke? Well, my tiny feet, like, you know, anything that physically enables people to sort of stride fast and all that kind of stuff. I just couldn't do. So I failed, excuse me. And, um, but what's nice about it is I got to try and there's an excitement in that. And then I, after that didn't work out, I switched to playing trombone, something totally different and actually almost failed in that, but was given adaptations to let that happen. And so one of the things that's interesting about um, 
that sort of notion of failure for a kid that's different or disabled is you become incredibly creative, mm-hmm. you know, incredibly, you know, you have to, by definition, this world wasn't necessarily, you know, made for the likes of you, especially if it's a physical difference um, or otherwise, um, you know, depending on someone's you know, unique experience. And so that's, that's something that really is um, sort of comes to mind. I'm so sorry. That was the cat. <laughs> I'm going to pause it. All right, here we go. Go ahead. Yeah. So it's just this, you know, wonderful thing about, you know, if, even if you fail, um, that motivates you to be trying other things. And, you know, we, you know, those of us that are different or disabled, um, certainly on the physical side of things, but even beyond that, you know, we, the, the world isn't, or wasn't made for the likes of us. And so as a result, you know, we have no choice, but to be creative in our approach in doing things. I mean, that's how I learned to tie my shoes, not because I could mimic anybody, but because I was determined and became creative in that space. Mm -hmm. Um, as a parent, just switching gears for a second, you know, the let them fail is really interesting because that's where my parents really did a great job and I didn't entirely. And I, what I mean by that is I think they were much more um, sort of created from the cloth of just let her do her and we'll see what happens. And for me, I, I think I had more fear and anxiety, like, oh my gosh, you know, I want them, I, d- I don't want them to be embarrassed by something. I don't want them to, you know, and I'll give you a simple a simple example, which is I used to pre-open, you know, if like if it was for snack, a chip bag or waters, I would pre-open things for them so that when they arrived at school, they were already open for them, you know, and I thought that I was saving their pride. Um, but the reality is, is I was really thwarting their growth and, you know, not only physically in terms of opening or not opening, but in terms of managing social interactions, if they couldn't open it they can't open it, that's going to happen. And they're going to need to navigate through that. And I robbed them of that. So that's an example of, you know, areas where, you know, they may or may not have failed. I mean, years later, um, my son, Ethan, um, our oldest, uh, in fact, he, we were doing an event in LA and he got up there and, um, and he also is, uh, both Ethan and Charlie are part of national speech and debate team. So they don't mind getting up there in front of people about a lot of things. But Ethan was talking about how it took a it took a, a long bike ride and a huge bout with almost dehydration that he's like, wait a minute, I can't open a water bottle. And so so he figured it out, but I didn't help on that. And so a lot of this, you know, these stories and the things that I provide are definitely um, vulnerable because I do want people to learn from my mistakes as well as the things that that have have helped them and supported them and empowered them. Yeah. So I I think I have two follow-up questions and I'm trying to articulate articulate this in my head. And so it might come out a little bit bumpy, (laughs) but following up on the subject of feeling, remembering when you failed as a child at swimming and feeling like, I think this is what I heard you say, something along the lines of your parents let you have that experience of failure. Do you remember that? felt sense and did it feel like here's where I'm going with this it seems like it might be generational I'm not sure um because 
as I told you before we started this recording, I don't personally have kids that I've birthed. We have kind of like an adopted son. We have our nephew who lives with us. Mm -hmm. Um, And for all intents and purposes, I inherited him when he was 15 years old, right? So he's like a fully formed human being. And so I often wonder about, in terms of failure, thinking back to when you're a child and you feel like you failed at something, how your parents handled it. And what, if anything, do you remember a felt sense of being like overly identified with that sense of failure or because your parents were taking a step back and letting you have that experience, you were able to kind of color it in as this thing I tried once that I really wanted to do, but it didn't quite work out. So I kind of just was able to switch gears. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, look, I think it's very person specific. It depends on, you know, the nature and makeup of, of who they are. So I'm not certainly, you know, going to be saying something that I think applies to all. I will say, you know, for me, I was, it, it becomes even a layer of more complexity because I was very, very focused and determined of assimilation. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be like everybody else. I was the only one that was different. I mean, in my head, I was and and versus reality. But because of that, I wanted to try everything, you know, so cheerleading, you know, talk about speech and debate, swimming, tennis. I play I, and I actually accomplished probably 95 percent of the things that I wanted to. So it wasn't like tons of experiences where I, I felt defined by it. Um, but, you know, if if I am answering your question, um, when they did happen, uh, I think that the the most the most important thing for me was this this is sort of and I, I talk about it in in the book too that you know my parents it's it's like a boxing ring you know they're not in the ring with me but they're on the side giving me the water mm-hmm. I need in between rounds yeah. and so that's how I sort of overcame you know of course anyone any one of us that doesn't accomplish something that we really want to do, there's disappointment, you know, um, but there's, I guess I have two thoughts. One is what I just said. I had people at home that really, really, um, you know, kind of got me back up in the saddle, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then there's another layer of this and that is, sorry, there's so many layers, but the layer is this, what, you know, especially for, for kids that, are presumed incapable at one first glance, you know, you know, that with most people, they sort of arrive and their kids and they're like, world is my oyster. And the parent's role is sort of helping them climb down from all the things they thought they could do, because why not? And when you are physically different or disabled, on the other hand, when you do accomplish something, it's almost like a climb up and you get to climb up to all these wonderful things because the expectations are different. So for me, I had a drive to try things, but it doesn't mean that I necessarily expected I could do them. Like most people, most people expect they can do things and then they just hope to do them incredibly well and stand out that way. When you don't expect to do something in the first place and you can't do it, you're like, that's disappointing, but let me try something else. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yes. Thank you. And so then my, the other part of this question is as a parent now, and I see this across the board, right? With parents. And again, it's from this lens of not really being a parent myself, but just kind of looking at 
parenting and, and generationally, um, why is it so hard? <laughs> and I mean, I know this comes from a place of love. Parents want to protect their children from disappointment, from hurt, from all these things, even though it's like, I wonder in your experience, when you are um, doing something proactively to have your child avoid a situation where they may or may not feel that disadvantage, right? Or that sense of shame or that sense of loss or that sense of the inability to accomplish something that they want to accomplish. And you know, like, because you just said this, that is doing a disservice to them. How do you then correct it or go back and address it if you do? Or what has been your experience with that as a parent? Um, You know, I, I would say... Well, in terms of correcting it, um, there's there's something that comes to mind right right away, which is it's it's not like I purposely said to my boys, you can't do this. But what I did do, and it's sort of more subtle, is not because, you know, we have a daughter that isn't born with that condition. And so I found myself introducing to her to things that I didn't fathom that they were capable of. And so, you know, and I had to have to deal with that and address it. And in fact, in the book, I, I, I share the story, which I'll do right now, which is, you know, I really thought it'd be great for our daughter, Savannah, who, by the way, is, we call her banana. I mean, she's, she was a competitive gymnast for years and years and years. And, you know, now she's sure she's very, you know, energetic and athletic and all those kind of things. And in my head, I came from a background of, you know, nerdy music people. (laughs) And so, so for me, like, of course she should like take piano lessons. And in fact, my husband's um, partner, you know, at work, he, his mother-in-law was, was getting rid of her grand piano and we brought it into our house. We're like, yes. And in my head, I thought this would be so great for Savannah. She can take you know, these let these piano lessons. So she, so I hired a piano teacher and as, as she was taking these lessons, Charlie would come in our, our, our middle child who has my condition. Now, Charlie has two fingers on each hand, two toes on each foot. Ethan has one finger on each hand, two toes on each foot. Their forearms are normal length versus mine. So Extradactyly doesn't mean, oh, you have one finger on each hand. It means you have some kind of like missing digits of whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so so with Charlie, he would sit there and watch his sister and sit there and watch her um, have her lessons. And in my naive head, I thought, oh, he just he just wants to play with her and he's waiting for a lesson to be over. And it, you know, it wasn't until um, I... I heard someone playing beautifully and I yelled out, I think I was upstairs from, uh, you know, my office in the house and to our, our uh, sitter at the time. Oh my gosh. Like, did you hear that? Like, she's doing a great job. And like, Meg, that isn't Savannah. She's in the bath. Like I'm giving her a bath right now. And I go downstairs and there's Charlie playing. And, and I just, and he, to this day, I mean, he's an incredible pianist incredible and so i got him lessons and i and i'm sorry that i took so long with the story but just it it really is the realest way that i can tell you that it wasn't that i was purposely like oh he said you know completely 
on the other hand, I'm going to correct myself. Yes, there was. There was another story where he wanted to play baseball. And I'm like, how can you possibly do that? You know, how can you wear a glove? You know, and so in the end, he petitioned for us to do that. And we thought he'd fail. How can you wear a glove? And if you have two fingers and the answer is you can, you know, so because my son, our son, you know, made certain that we figured it out with the right type of softer glove and so forth. So, mm-hmm. you know, but I, gosh, I hope I, I haven't, you know, veered away too much from your question, but at the end of the day, it's complicated, but mm-hmm. what, what the, the best, the best thing any one of us could do is realize you don't always know best. You don't know, just, you should not jump to conclusions. You shouldn't jump to assumptions. You shouldn't decide in your head what they can or should be capable of doing, because mm-hmm. if they have, um, a yearning, then let them, let them focus on that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing those stories. I find stories to be such a, um, lovely way of, um, letting a particular subject matter that is complex and nuanced really land, um, and be like something that we can all really understand and that it carries forward with us as a lesson learned. So thank you for sharing. Absolutely. And on this thread, this is taking me to um, something that is very central to the book, this, um, the terminology of difference versus disability. Um, And the, and I'll let you go into this and just obviously, like if we all took a moment to think about the difference in connotation between those words, I think we would we'd realize, right, that disability can have a negative connotation. Um, I'm not asking you a specific question, but I I would love if you could dive into that topic for us a little bit. Yeah, it's such an important topic. I'm glad you asked about it. Um, I remember I had written an article in a magazine and they, (laughs) to my, um, let's just say, surprise, titled it, Why I Hate the Word Disabled. I'm like, oh, thanks, people. Like, it was just, <laughs> like, really? Like, that 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 extreme sort of eye-grabbing thing is the last thing I want to do, because I think it offends people, and that is not my intention. My intention is not to alienate anyone when it comes to this discussion, and that's what it is. It's a discussion. But I will say that um, I, for years, I never identified with the label um, and the word disabled. Um, I hadn't thought about why, but I just didn't. I think because um, I really felt like it was just suggestive of someone who's less than, and mm-hmm. I've been raised to just do more than, you know, and I, and that was who I am, my spirit and everything. And so I really resented it. I even resented it at coming out of in law school in a law firm um had labeled me with that, you know, as part of their brochure. And I really resented it too. So I was, I, you know, and I had a lot, look, when I was younger, I used to hide my hands. I was a very different type of person, especially when it comes to in public or, you know, and so forth, not certainly with my friends or family. And so I was definitely evolving when it came to the word. I couldn't figure out though, as I started noticing that people were like, you know, flying the wonderful, beautiful flag of disability and that word, and obviously the ADA is so important and all that good kind of stuff and helps so many people. So I think I had to really consider 
and 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 maybe it's the lawyer in me because that's my you know sort of day job i almost had to challenge myself like if i were in a court of law why you know wh- where would i come on the other side you know mm-hmm. so that and that this is not a legal thing but i always think in those terms like okay if i think this what are the other people thinking and why because i don't i can't know everything and and knowing what they think can only help me reaffirm my own views and mm-hmm. so i was getting ready to go to work and uh, I had the, and, and I address this in the book, there's an entire section in the beginning after the introduction or before, I forget, that um, actually speaks to this very thing. Um, but the, um, I was getting ready for work and the, there was the traffic report and the, the broadcaster announced, your day is going to be ruined uh, better call your boss, a disabled vehicle is in the road in the way. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, that's, that's it. You know, this term is still used in a negative way in the common vernacular. People aren't thinking about it, but it is true. And, Mm -hmm. and as long as people are thinking about this word in connection with something that's in your way, and it's going to cause a headache, then, you know, that's interesting. So, I, uh, you know, I run uh, my nonprofit, non, uh, don't have it flaunted. And actually on our social media, I think it was on Facebook, I typed it in. I said, I finally realized this, you know, and here's what I heard. What do people think about this? Because again, you know, I really wanted to understand more about where people were with this. So we got so many messages. A lot of people were like, you're right, Meg. A lot of people whose children were different you know, or, you know, disabled or whatever the label should be. But they're like, yeah, that word, I don't think of my son or daughter that way. Um, I, I, They're just who they are. And, you know, we don't like that negative, you know, label because we think it is still a negative label, but we understand if other people, everyone wants to be like understanding. They're not trying to speak for anybody except for themselves. But then it was interesting because I did get a couple of people that were like, oh yeah, I identify with this for sure. And, and I said, well, tell me more about yourself. And what they said is one was a, you know, uh, army veteran who had lost a limb. Another person had um, a disfiguring accident in a car crash and they, um, and physically and otherwise, and they said, we are absolutely disabled. You know, we're, we're not who we were before. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that I have to say about all of this now is is that um, I think that I'm not here to second guess anybody's view of, you know, how they want to label themselves. You know, as I say in the book, while I use the word different, if someone calls me or my kids disabled now, I'm like, okay, well, that's how you, you know, that's a label you want to do. I, that's fine. But most importantly, um, you know, it's really about, are you or your children for this, for the purpose of this book, are you considered atypical? Um, and judged by society as as outside the norm. That's who we're talking about. And however someone wants to label, you know, their child or, you know, within their family or whatever, then I'm not getting in the middle of that, nor should I. I wouldn't, I I, I wouldn't ever want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I want to, um, this is a broader theme and then I want to narrow it down to something. So the theme of, again, central to the book, um, and th- we've talked about this without naming it as such, but um, 
more specifically being an advocate for your child and for yourself. Um, I mean, you've given many good examples of, you know, doing things differently and the challenges that you face that are probably different than those of us that are born without thinking about what it means to have all of these fingers and all these toes and arms a certain length, right? So um, can we dive into this topic a little bit more broadly? And then I'll narrow us down to a specific section in the book that I want to dive into. Um, well, you're talking about broadly about being an advocate. So, yes. you know, the, the, so there's, there's two things, there's two things that come to my mind right now. The first one is, you know, the first chapter is called embracing the new normal. And that really has a very, very focused, you know, discussion about the parent or caregiver themselves. You know, what kind of person are you? Are you a person that worries about what people think, you know, and 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 so forth? Because how can we expect our children to be able to withstand the inevitable stares, pity, and so forth if we ourselves can't um, find the strength to sort of release all that fear? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so for being an advocate, that's my first thought, which is you have to do some, you know, self-work and, and, and focused. Um, and, and I don't just say it, I, I, in the chapter go into, and how do you do that? Um, you know, and, and for me, uh, and, and we're all different, right? My husband's very much like when Ethan was born, I was so happy to see him all swaddled up. Um, just for a little bit before his grandparents met him for the first time, his beautiful blue eyes and, you know, and his sweet face and his, his limbs were covered. Meanwhile, my husband's like, here he is, here's Ethan. And the, the blanket drops. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> so, so, you know, the, in the book, what you have to do is decide where do you fall in that? And then if you do fall more in terms of worrying about people, what people are thinking, then I say, you have some work to do. And, you know, really the letting go of certain things, including the notion of perfection and things like that. But I, I take people down that road in, in my first chapter. And so then once you've been able to find that strength, um, and, and obviously it, it can take a village. I mean, I'm not saying by yourself. I mean, there's different ways to, to achieve that. Um, I mean, you, you teach yoga. I mean, that those kind of things, you just, you need that space for mental peace anyway. And then there's a lot of different ways and resources such as that, but also um, that I think, you know, depending on a person's interests and priorities and so forth. Mm -hmm. But after that, from an advocacy perspective, I would say the, the most important thing that I think I've been able to do for our kids is... Um, forecast what's to come hmm. and you know really giving them and i and it's interesting because in the first chapter just for the parents i'm like here's the forecast i, I actually put people <laughs> hope this comes out well after the book is released but i put people into categories you know there's certain this these you know there's the there's the i knowers like oh i know you know my grandmother's cousin's you know, stepdaughter and she has what your kid has, you know, that kind of, but yeah. so I do that for parents too, so that they know what's to come. But for kids, 
um, that's one of the greatest ways that I could be their advocate is so that they did not live their lives feeling blindsided. And, and, you know, and for me in particular, um, I'm not just a parent with this child who has, you know, what they have. I'm a person that gave birth to my difference. So I intuitively and, and definitively understand what they're about to experience. And so I've done that. And I know that not every parent has, um, you know, given birth to their difference, but thematically the things, the examples I give, you don't have to have to be able to do that. And that's really an important point. So um, I'm just going to pause, but I hope that answered your question a little bit. Yeah, it does. And it's a beautiful segue into my next more, I guess, narrow question. Um, And that is on the subject of bullying, because how can you, I mean, any parent sending their kid to public school or private school, wherever, being in a social society, bullying is going to happen. And kids can be really mean when it comes to um, identifying differences. So I love this section in the book. And actually, there's, um, there's a piece that I wanted to read from it, um, where you're, you're walking through this, it's kind of like role-playing, right. With, with your son about, um, being bullied. Um, and so let me, sorry, Ernie, I'm talking to my producer here for a second (laughs) because I'm trying to decide where I wanted to start. I just could read like this whole chapter. Um, thank you. Okay, let's go back to that moment at recess. You play you, I'll play the bully. That's where I wanted to start. Um, All right, so here's my clap to restart us, Ernie. Thank you. So in the book, um, Ethan comes home from school and he's had his first experience bullying. And I just, I love the way that you describe talking through this with him and how you addressed it. And I'd love to share um, a few sentences from the book. Um, and then I'd love to hear you tell us about this in, in your experience. So I'm on page 192 of Taking the Bully by the Horns. That's the section of Born Extraordinary. And you're saying he would realize that although he couldn't prevent such an awful experience from happening, he could still take charge of his own reactions and understanding of events. Drawing from my coping toolbox, I again employed role-playing. And so you say to Ethan, let's go back to that moment at recess. You play you and I'll play the bully. Ethan jumped into Ethan jumped in to describe the torturous experience and how if Javier hadn't intervened with the teacher's aid, he wasn't certain what the boys would have done to him next. I began to taunt him. This is you again. I began to taunt him as he backed up to his bed. He looked anxious. So I stopped and changed gears, not wanting the experience to backfire. Okay, now let's switch. You play the bully and I will play you. At first, I act frightened and ashamed, purposefully hiding my hands. But then I told Ethan I was going to try something different. Your hands are like white carrots, he yelled at me. I looked at him and I stood up proudly with my hands showing. I don't care what you think about me. This was my kid-friendly version of what you think of me is none of my business. I mean, I could underline and highlight that and like exclamation point that quote. And I think this is what you're trying to say to us all. 
when we're experiencing bully is that is the point, right? That is, that is the takeaway for our children. Um, and so I'll just finish out this, the, the rest of the, the page. That was my kid-friendly version of what you think of me is none of my business. Okay. I'm saying it again. Cause I love it. <laughs> Taken <laughs> back. Ethan tried again. No hands. You've got no hands. Although he kept trying to bother me. I continued to appear unfazed by the attempts. And then he said, mommy, I'm getting tired of trying to bother you. And I swelled with victory. Exactly. Exactly. So I just, I mean, this page is so, first of all, thank you for sharing that experience and what an amazing tool to have in your toolbox and to be able to role play that with your son. What an invaluable lesson for him. As you did, as you were doing this with him, could you see that recognition? I mean, he's, you're, you're writing about how he says, mommy, I'm getting tired of trying to bother you. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to unpack when it comes to that chapter generally. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say, uh, if at first most, most people who are parents and you, you see it in the top of that chapter, most people that are parents of children that are disabled, different or, or disabled or whatever the label is, um, we're just really focused on, you know, will someone just be our kid's friend? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, how, how kindness is a uh, great goal, but we need our children to have more than kindness. We need friendship. They need friendship. And so that's what we're focused on with them. And so when, uh, you know, a scenario like and that's what we're working on it, you know, trying to build their sense of selves, trying to navigate, um, you know, I, I told you, I put people in categories and including for, for the children. And I'm like, some kids will ask you questions, some will point, some are, you know, I call the heroes. Mm -hmm. They just genuinely, you know, like cherish them when they show up because they just genuinely are fine and talk to you and just treat you like you want to be treated. And maybe they go home and ask their parents about you, but you know, just cherish them. So I say this in the sense of before we've ever gotten into a role playing like that, most of the discussions and the dynamics are home at home are much more like, I want to have a pal. I want to have pals. I want to, I want just like any one of us needs that. Yeah. Um, and by the way, if we don't have that, then doing the role playing makes it so much more difficult if that kid feels alone. Um, I was part of a, a, I was being interviewed on this other podcast and someone, um, the person that was interviewing me told me, she's like, you know, I was once talking to someone and people, the kids weren't being kind to him that, or he, they weren't bullying him. He was just ignored. And, and, and that's an, its own level of sort of complexity of loneliness and everything. So I, I'm telling you this because one piece of that little story is Javier. Javier was his friend that went to go get somebody. And Ethan, Javi was and continues to be, I mean, now these kids are juniors in college, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, one of his best friends of his life. And so I would say to you that, you know, part of the role playing and the success of that started before the incident happened so that Ethan had his buddy around mm -hmm. to be there in the first place, to get to that strength, to get to that 
point of, I don't care what you think about me or what you think of me is none of my business. It's almost impossible to achieve if we, if our children don't have our, you know, um, our, our, our circle, you know, that circle can be really small. It can be like one or two other kids, but our circle, you know, and so fortunately as I was, I was, and that, that's how that chapter builds. And so when we get to that point, you know, and Ethan's exhausted by it, that the, uh, uh, you know, or, you know, exhausted trying to bother me. He also knows that that strength of not worrying about what other people think is because you know, who you care, who does think like he cared about what hobby thinks that's, you know, you have to replace it. Um, I'm not sure I even go to the level in this book, but I'm so glad we're talking about it because it's almost like if you, if we expect our kids to not worry in that way, then we do need them to know that. But there are others that you, you do care that you care about what they think and they think you're amazing and that's what matters. And that's what gives them that, you know, inner strength, that core to, to get through something like that. Does yeah. that make sense? Oh my God. Yeah. I'm so glad you pointed that out. Thank you so much for the backstory. And um, just for the reminder that friendship and acknowledgement is so key in building that sense of who you are and why it's so important to pay attention to who, who you care about and not in that way, but pay attention to whose words matter to you and why are you placing so much emphasis on that person's opinion of you? It's worth looking at. It really is. So I really appreciate you. There's a, there's a um, phrase that someone had, um, you know, I, I, I didn't, come up with it, but I certainly embrace it, which is don't let them take your power away from you. And your power is self-love. That Mm -hmm. is your power. And so that's the type of teaching that, you know, you work on with your children to get to that point. And if you don't let them take that power away, then all these other, um, all these other things go away. They really do. I mean, it's anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, you bring up a really good point, teaching self-love to our kids, how in in a practical sense, I mean, I think we all get that, you know, in a a theory, but in a practical sense, what are some ways that you teach that to your kids? Yeah. You know, look, the, the reality is there's an entire chapter in the book called what about their dignity? And Mm -hmm. it really goes into methods of, um, you know, having kids really build their sense of self and understanding of how to um, learn to embrace their, you know, their God-given gifts, you know, that, that, I mean, I'm probably not doing a a great uh, service of of giving all these examples because it's in a chapter, but there truly is an entire chapter in this book that focuses on what about their dignity, because they are going to be, um, you know, experiencing things that none of us ever would want on our worst and, you know, living your life where people just pity you. It does have, um, it does, there's, there's such interesting points though. You know, a lot of it has to do with control. There's, there's this one um, section that I put Charlie on a swing and, you know, and I said, okay, well, you know, you're, you're swinging right now. And, and, and I said, now I'm going to swing next to you. And I'm like, okay, so make me stop. And he's like, I can't. And I said, 
okay, make yourself stop. And he made himself stop. And I'm like, that's the point. The point is, mm-hmm. is that, you know, when we're focusing and building our de- dignity and self and self, a sense of self, we really do need to understand and teach our kids for sure that your, your self-love, your dignity, you have to decide what's in your control. You will be swallowed if you base your dignity and your sense of self on others. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, there was, and I write about this, this is an interview um, Oprah did with somebody who um, her name is Carolyn Mace. And, and, and she had this incredible statement, which is, you know, what we really need to do is be madly in love with the life we've been given, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I love that so much. And so, so much of being able to do that is allowing our kids to walk into that space within their lives and decide, okay, the things that we don't love about our lives, what's happening? Well, what parts are in our control? What are the things that we do love? And those things are in our control. Let's embrace those. So it's, it's kind of down uh, along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I love that. Maybe I'll, I'll find that link to that interview if I can put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, Meg, it's such an honor to take the time to meet you here in this platform. And I just loved being able to read through your book. Thank you again for putting it out there for us. Um, Thank you, I appreciate it. It's been such a pleasure, truly. Yeah. I guess I'm just wondering if there's anything that, any takeaways that you hope people leave this conversation with could be something you already said that you want to reiterate or something that I didn't ask you that you wish that I would have? Um, I think it's, I think, um, there's, there's, there's no question that this is the type of book that I hope doesn't just reach people who's, who happen to have kids with differences or disabilities, whether visible or invisible. Um, I think that there's an audience that is incredibly, um, I hope, um, not incredibly, but I hope also reads this book. And what I mean by that are parents that simply just want to raise empathetic children. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's that audience. There's the audience of teachers that want to uh, create an inclusive classroom, you know, and need to sort of understand and tap into, you know, we talked about Ethan being bullied. Well, he was bullied at school mm-hmm. and I started my nonprofit, Don't Had It Flaunted, because the principal was like, Meg, you know, how can we help a kid that's different like yours? I'm like, wait a minute, we're all different. So that's a whole different discussion point. Um, and then doctors, you know, uh, that we have a um, someone from the American Academy of Pediatrics who have endorsed the book because just, you know, having pediatricians or doctors where, you know, a diagnosis or something happens and understandably people feel like, you know, your world is over. It's, it's, you know, everything downhill from here and being able to sort of um, read this book and be able to hand it to parents and say, everything's going to be okay. Read this book. So hopefully when people think about Born Extraordinary, um, you know, it's, it hopefully helps and serves a lot of people at the end of the day. It's, it's my labor of love. Yeah, it really comes through. Thank you. Uh, and then finally, the logistics of where can we go to connect with you and find out more about you? Yeah. So um, my 
author website is megzucker.com, um, which makes it really easy. <laughs> uh, you can uh, read articles that I've published. You can buy the book there. You can, if you want me to appear, you can. I'm doing a, a, a little bit of a book tour. You can see where I'm going to be at. Um, but that's probably megzucker.com will we'll get you what you need. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much, Meg. It's been a yep. true pleasure and an honor to speak with you today. Ditto. Thank you so much. Well, everyone, that concludes another amazing episode of Outside the Studio. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I hope you learned something new, maybe remembered something old, maybe felt inspired to apply something to your life. My, (laughs) you can hear my dog in the background. She's doing a little happy dance. Um, So Daisy enjoyed it. Anyhow, I wanted to just pop in here to wrap us up to say a couple of things. Number one, I have such an amazing team that helps me put these podcasts together. Without them, I wouldn't you know, be able to bring these amazing conversations to you. So thank you to my producer, my director of creative services, my sound editor, my um, engineer, Consistency Media don't know what I would do without you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the amazing creation and artistic musical genius Drew Lovern. Thank you so much for putting together this music for specifically for outside the studio. So unique to the show. Only place you're ever going to hear it is right here. Thanks you guys. You make my world go round. Stay well, everyone. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, share on the socials, especially if it's a show that you think, hey, this could help somebody else. That's what this is all about, right? We're sharing information so that we're better, um, so that we're inspired, so that we're lifting each other up and we're learning how to be in this world, living on this planet to the best of our ability, sharing information and inspiring one another. And that's my hope. That's my hope for the show. Take care.